Good morning. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know me, my name is Gilson, and along with my wife Jenny and I, we live here in the valley. We moved here last year, and we live in Holyoke, right by uh, Mount Tom. We moved here for a job and schooling, and um, we immediately came to this church because I attended here when I was a student at UMass. And we have, I was already in love with this church, but we have since fallen back in love with the community here um, and the people that support and love this church and make it what it is. Hopefully it's clear to you that I am not the regular pastor here. Pastor Robert and his wife Melanie have just returned from sabbatical. And um, they will be reinvigorating the life of this church with their presence here. Um, and we're very happy to have them back. Uh, I'm just one of several here who have been volunteering to preach while he's been away, uh, which is a daunting task, uh, considering that the first time I heard Pastor Robert speak, I was a student, and I came through the doors of Mercy House uh, approximately six years ago because of someone named Michael Daling who some of you may know. Uh, I bumped into Mike at the UMass Activities Expo when I was a freshman, and he asked me if I had a church that I was attending, which is a normal thing to ask someone, you know, right on campus. <laughs> I didn't at the time. I wasn't, I don't think I was looking for one. Um, but he, uh, he said, would you be willing to come to Mercy House with me? So I, I, I'm thinking, what, what's your name again? <laughs> Um, but he, he, was, uh, he was wonderfully pushy in a great way, like a loving pushy. Um, and he, he got me through the doors, and I knew I was looking for a fun crew to be part of. I was looking for, I was looking for a group of people. And when I realized they were doing uh, community groups, it was the start of the semester, so everyone was gearing up for community small groups. And as I was kind of looking at the table of what was available, I was thinking maybe I might, you know, meet someone. And the only one that really had availability in it, availability in it was um, the Bible boot camp for guys only. <laughs> and I, I like a challenge, and just seeing the word boot camp, I felt a little hair grow on my chest. Um, so I was, I was up for it, and I signed up for it. Um, but I had little, little idea what kind of awaited me. Um, now, you should know I was more or less raised in the church growing up. My family traveled a lot, so my brothers, sister, and I, we were introduced to a number of different uh, denominations, doctrine, teaching styles, and I thought I kind of knew what this church and Bible gig was about, um, <clears throat> but um, when I attended boot camp, the second week in, Pastor Robert asked everyone to prepare their own version of the gospel. No more than five minutes. And since I had had some experience, I thought, no problem. I'm going to crush this. Uh, but you know how on the day of class presentations, when you're not the first one to go, and you can watch other people, and then like they get torn to shreds by the, by the person hosting it? You feel, you feel it a knot in your stomach. You're just like, oh my gosh, I have to go after this. Um, my presentation was more than five minutes, for starters. And... It's on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned Jesus, like in the last sentence, once and nowhere else. 
So <laughs> I basically vomited everything I knew about the Old Testament, the people, the stories. And then, you know, as it's leading up to Jesus, I said, and then Jesus came and saved. And that was the end. And the, I realized, you know, limping back into my chair, that my initial aspirations of like a round of applause and like maybe an autograph signing afterwards, they didn't happen the way I had secretly hoped. Um, but uh, Robert and the other mature men in the church, they were kind to me. Uh, very much recognizing, uh, as I did over time, that there was a great deal of growth that needed to happen in my life. Not only for me to understand some sound Christian um, truths, but also to lose some pride. And so for the following year, I was mentored by the same guy that brought me here, Michael Daly. And he, uh, he had received the truth of Jesus Christ a couple of years earlier, and he was then walking in it at that point. And he walked with me during my time at UMass. Um, he helped me specifically see the sin in my life with lust. He helped me go deeper in prayer and reading the Bible, encouraging me to wrestle with the text and to lift up, lift up to God in prayer um, discern for discernment in my life, which is something I had never done before. He showed me by being himself what it looked like to walk in the truth and in the light, thus revealing the darkness in my life and showing me the joy that I could have by walking in the truth. <clears throat> and that's actually what we're going to talk about today in today's passage from John. So for the past month, we have been in the summer sermon series uh, brief in which we've been focusing on the short books of the New Testament, namely 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and Philemon. And so far, we have had four different powerful volunteer preachers uh, walk our church through the second of three letters John wrote uh, to churches throughout Asia Minor during approximately the time AD 90. During that time, the churches were beginning to experience false teaching, in, uh, both within and out, from inside and outside the church. The, uh, the belief that was growing was that matter was matter was evil and spirit was good and therefore jesus could not be both human and god and die that that made no sense um, these false teachers believed they had acquired an elevated knowledge of the facts and began perverting the church with new ideas that became known as gnosticism so john combats these lies through his letters writing to these churches encouraging them to walk in love as christ had commanded and watch out for false teachers who spread lies about the truth of Christ. And last Sunday, Corey Tellman finished off 2 John by talking about the importance of being involved in the church, in the body of Christ, and the joy in having face-to-face -face relationships with people in the church. He pointed out that Christ came in the flesh to have face-to-face -face relationships with his disciples so that their joy in him could be complete. And through a fun little exercise at the end of the service, Corey invited us all um, to, through, through a little exercise, to begin practice viewing each other as family members in this church, reminding us that we are a household of faith being built by the mercy of God. Today, we're going to look at 3 John, verses 1 through 4, and consider what it means to be Christians walking in the truth 
and to experience joy in doing so. My question for all of you this morning is, what brings you joy? If you have a pen and a little piece of paper, take 15 seconds and just jot something down. What brings you joy? There is no wrong answer. I'm not kidding. If you, you know, go for it. And we're going to pray. <laughs> Lord, we come before you with a humble posture and a joyful heart, recognizing you as the king and master of our lives, able to take away our very breath if you wished it. And we acknowledge your presence here in this church as ever-reigning, no matter what idols or fate gods we may succumb to. We take this time, though brief, uh, to admit our sin to you, and admit our unconditional need for your mercy and for your grace. This morning, we thank you for the wonderful gift of life, the blessings of this church, both the building and family within, and for your word. I ask that as we read from your word this morning, you would speak through me, just as you spoke through your servant, John, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I invite you to pull out your Bibles if you brought them. If you don't have one, there are several in each row uh, that you can scrabble for. Um, if you prefer to use your phone app, no problem. If you need help finding the passage, there's someone to your right and most likely someone to your left that you can ask. <clears throat> I'm going to read it again. It's a short one. So 3 John verse 1 is where we're at. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So before we dig into this, Let's quickly go over who John is and what he's writing about. The writer John, not to be confused with uh, John the Baptist, John Mark, John Wayne, was one of the 12 disciples that physically walked with Jesus during his three years of ministry. John is the one whom Jesus loved and trusted with the care of his mother when he was on the cross. He's also the author of the Gospel of John in which he famously connects Jesus to the word logos, so that the Greeks would better understand who Jesus is in their, in their uh, philosophy. <clears throat> he is also the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as Revelation. He is understood to have been the longest living apostle and the only apostle, ap apostle alive when writing this letter. During this time, he was, he was the elder of spiritual oversight, so when he says the elder, that term is not to be taken lightly. He wasn't even just an elder. He was the elder. Uh, and because of all this, the content of his letters was greatly sought after and, and held much weight in these churches that he was writing to. He was pretty much viewed as a father, if not a grandfather, full of wisdom, being one of the 12 that walked with the Messiah. As testimony earlier, he's writing to these churches because the church, or truth in the church is under attack both from within and outside the church. 
And this letter to Gaius is a letter of encouragement to continue walking in the truth. Okay, so we've covered who John is, what he's doing. Who is who's he writing to here? Because when the letter reads, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, I think, who is this Gaius getting a shout-out from Bigwig John? Unfortunately, we don't really know, and we probably never will. Gaius was a particularly common name back then, like Gilson is today. <laughs> and Bible scholars... Uh, have not seemed to be able to pin down who this Gaius was. Nothing more is known of him than his mention in the salutation of this letter, except that John recognizes him as someone who was walking in the truth. And we're going to unpack what that means in a few minutes. But first, let's start dissecting our text here, because John uses a special word to address Gaius. Beloved. Or as I usually say, agapethos. That's the Greek term. <clears throat> The reason I say special is because about 60 years prior to John using this term, God the Father used this term at the baptism of his son Jesus. In Matthew 3:17, he says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The term beloved communicates a deep relationship with and unity in Christ's family. Beloved means a much-loved person. But it's important to know who exactly is doing the loving, because it's not just John. Gaius, as a follower of Christ, is loved by God. The, and, and John knows this because through his hospitality, through Gaius's hospitality, he is demonstrating his obedience to the truth and love of Christ. In verse 2, John uses a standard greeting used in ancient texts, that all may go well with you and that you be in good health but he finishes it by saying, as it goes well with your soul. Thus acknowledging the strength of Gaius' spiritual well-being and that his wish is actually that Gaius' physical health would be just as good. He then shares with Gaius that others have been talking about him. These brothers that John mentions in verse 3 were likely traveling preachers whom Gaius had shown hospitality, and they thought it worthwhile to give their Yelp review directly to John. And John responds by telling Gaius that these, what these travelers say, it's indeed true. You are walking in the truth. And follows it up by saying, nothing brings me more joy than to hear that you're walking in the truth. Nothing. Not even like Netflix and ice cream. Like I was trying to think of like some good things, like what would bring me a lot of joy? Um, <clears throat> I'll admit when it comes to helping people, I prefer to be a solver of external needs. Yard work, babysitting, grocery shopping, food making, foot massages, though very few qualify for that service. And the thought of, I, I, there are some people that are really good at sitting down on the couch and listening to what's on your heart and praying with you. <clears throat> In verse two, however, John, John prays for guys to be free from physical pain or sickness in the same sentence that he addresses his soul. And if you're like me, you tend to lean towards a certain service, but I have to remind myself that the service I might want to provide, it's easy for me to provide, is not necessarily what's needed. That's kind of hard. It's hard to swallow sometimes. It's like, yeah, that's great, you can provide that, but that's not what's needed. But God shows us that he cares for our whole being. 
both spiritual and physical, whether we're doing well or we're suffering. And John reminds us at the start of this letter, along with Gaius, that we, along with Gaius, are loved by God, who sees all of us and all that we're doing through, uh, going through. Now, regarding verse 3 and these traveling preachers, I want you to imagine something. Imagine if your boss saw your mother, father, mentor, pastor, and took the time to provide him or her an update of your character. Not just your work ethic, but your, your character. If that were to happen to me, I would immediately start thinking of what good works, any good works that I had done recently that would be relevant to this conversation. Um, trying hard not to think of petty whining, lack of productivity, or Netflix and ice cream. And um, suffice it to say, I would be floored if the response I received was anything even remotely close to what these traveling preachers said about Gaius. And that's that the truth is evident in his life. I mean, what a report. Now imagine a flip of that scenario. You are now the, the mother, the father, the brother, the mentor, the friend of someone you have dared to share the truth about Jesus with. <clears throat> Maybe it was a Newsboys concert you took them to while they were in high school and they were still awkward with like braces on their teeth. Middle school, maybe high school, just me. <clears throat> and time goes by and you're wondering how they're doing, <clears throat> knowing full well that not all those who hear about Jesus accept them and whether they accept them Maybe they're no longer faithfully walking in that. But then one day, a couple of weary travelers stop by your place and tell you some news. Hey, your friend is walking in the truth. Or more relevant today, you check Facebook and see a post from a friend, that friend, and they say, I've given my life to Jesus, and I'm joining the mission field. John hears this about his friend Gaius. And he sums up his emotions by saying, I have no greater joy than to hear that you are walking the truth. Now, you may be wondering what it means when we keep using the phrase walking in the truth. Because anyone can walk. But as it turns out, the repeatedly used image of walking refers to daily conduct. John uses this image, uses this image in the gospel, in his gospel, when he quotes Jesus saying, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's John 11, 9 through 10. For those of you thinking, yeah, but that was regarding walking in the light. What about walking in the truth? What's the difference? Jesus clarifies that up for us as well by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. So when we walk in the truth, or when we walk in the light, we are walking in and with Christ. Through his sacrifice, he took away our sin. Through his resurrection, he raised us from the dead. And through his word, he has given us a truth to hold fast to and a way to walk every day, to walk like Jesus. Now, in this passage, we learn that Gaius' display of hospitality was a manifestation of love 
that flowed from his obedience to the truth of Christ. And John commended him because he not only knew the truth, he lived it. So as I learn this about guys, I find myself asking, what does walking in the truth look like for me today? I understand that in Gaius' day, safe and reliable hospitality was generally in high demand. Seeing that most B&Bs weren't guaranteed safe places. But what about today? Because in every age, there are those who are skeptical of Christian claims. Jesus himself was met with opposition about his identity and claims that, claiming that he was the son of God, his message, his mission, even his miracles. Some saw in Jesus the truth. Some still embrace the truth as it is in Jesus. Rather than give up on truth or even mock it, as some always will, we are called to seek, to stand up for, and serve the truth that Christ has revealed. Better picture is to open our, our doors, open our homes and our lives to others to put Christ on display and to take joy in it. So how do we put this into practice? There are a few questions we can ask ourselves. Am I meeting with the living God through prayer on a regular basis? Am I growing closer in relationship with Jesus by reading his word on a regular basis? Am I watching someone walk in the truth? Who's walking with me? Do I talk about my joy with other people? Am I part of a small group through which I can know what's going on in other people's lives and share what's going on in mine? And lastly, showing hospitality is still very applicable uh, demonstration of living in the truth. We live in a world full of heartache, brokenness, and need. And we live in a culture that commends independence. But in reality, it is rare to find someone that does not have some need that can be met. And you don't have to be able to offer much in order to provide hospitality. You can be a college student in a one-room, dorm-room apartment, or dorm room, and meet the exact needs of someone who comes to you for help if you display Christ through your walk. If you're here and you've never had the joy of receiving the truth of Jesus Christ, or I invite you to consider the truth of Jesus Christ and talk to someone after the service about what it means to have a relationship with him. Of course, for those of you who believe you have been justified through Christ, you have been saved from sin. But that, if that is true, you will also show yourself as being free from the penalty of sin by playing out the truth in your life, walking it out. Instead of walking in the way of sin, you're walking in the way of truth. Truth is a basis for joy. When we see others walking in the truth, it encourages us to do the same. And to walk in the truth means to live a life pleasing to God in all respects. When those around us walk in the truth, we want to join them. It glorifies God and it brings joy to all who love him. The joy I experienced walk, learning to walk in the truth with Mike wasn't like other joys 
I had uh, I'd experienced before, and it certainly demands more of me than the shallower things I enjoy. But there is no doubt that learning to walk in the truth calls forth a deeper joy, one that is linked with someone not of this world. from a God who loves with a force like any other, like, unlike any other. Mike was and still is my close friend, counselor, accountability partner, and it is a wonderfully encouraging thing to know that he, the one who pointed me to the truth, is not only still walking in it, but because he's walking in it, he's still pointing me to the truth with his life. And now part of walking the truth means walking in grace. And here at Mercy House, we remind ourselves of that grace that Christ poured out on the cross for us every, every week through the taking of communion. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he took, when, excuse me, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body. <clears throat> Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, procl you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So at this time, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, we would ask that you form two lines down the center, come up, receive the bread in the cup, and return to your seat by going around the outside. Take some time to pray, reflect, bring, bring up some, some stuff that you want to bring to God, have a personal conversation with him, and then take it. If you do not consider yourself a follower of Christ, we invite you to stay in your seat. Again, take this time to pray and reflect, and feel free to talk to someone at the end of the service. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us joy in your truth, in a post-truth world. We are surrounded by personalized truths in all aspects of our lives, and it can be hard to discern what is right and what is honorable to you. <clears throat> we thank you for your spirit, ever guiding us through our days and providing us the comfort of knowing you have not left our side. Please be with us through whatever turmoil lay ahead when we choose a path in this maze of wrong turns and dead ends. And give us the strength to trust your strength, knowing that we are nothing without you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.